I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, James. Uh, I'm going to say that we're in July, even though technically you and I are still in June. It's July. We're, we're pretending it's July, okay? Why, why are we pretending it's July? Just because, like, July is when stuff starts happening. I guess some stuff has happened. I mean, Colorado did just win the cup, so there's that. That's June. <laughs> that little thing. It, it, it went so late this year that it was kind of like, oh, is this over yet? Is it it's still going? And I, I'm really looking forward to... You know what's amazing is that free agency is not on July 1, which is wonderful because I'm I'm going to take my kids to the Canada Day celebration and there's no COVID hasn't canceled it. And, you know, it's I'm really excited. My kids, this will be like the first Canada Day that they really like remember and we do something fun during it. Normally I'm working like a 16 hour day on Canada Day. Well, can I ask you, is this something that they would change moving forward? Because I'm sure there's lots of people in hockey who want to have Canada Day be its own thing. They've talked about it. Yeah. I mean, they've talked about, they need to get it a, a couple days be earlier. It would be fantastic. That's tough, I guess, with the draft. And I guess you don't really want it to be like July 3, because that's before July 4 and like July 5, yeah. and then you're stretching it out. Like, I don't know. Anyway. It needs to be like June 29th or 30th or July 6th or something. Like, they they can't. The holidays should be sacred because, like, the number of Canada days that I've missed, basically, like everyone, all, <laughs> all of them, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway, no, no one wants to hear. No one wants. To, but I'm just like, th- so this week, this year, it's like Canada Day's on the Friday. It's a long weekend. There's no free agency that day. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice weekend, and then we fly to Montreal for the draft. Oh, baby. All right. So we are going to talk some draft. We're going to have uh, our buddy Josh Cloak on a little later, talk about what the Leafs might do with their first round pick, assuming they keep their first round pick. We can talk about that. But we have a long list of stuff to get into. We need to talk about free agency. We need to talk about Matthews and the Hart Trophy. But we're going to start with the most recent news. And that's Timothy Logren signing a two-year deal, $1.4 million cap hit. Did you expect him to do two years? Did you expect him to go to 1.4? What do you think of the contract? And then we can get into what it means for the other RFA on D, Rasmus Sandine. Well, I had been kind of penciling both those guys in for one-year deals around their qualifying offer, around $900,000, just because I thought the Leafs might go that route just to save some cap space. But 
the danger in doing so is that then you play them in the top four, one of them, uh, or the top six. I mean, the other thing too, I mean, Jonas, you know, they're, they're one, say they have a major injury to one of their other defensemen, both of them could end up playing in the top four next season. And then all of a sudden you're looking at, and they're going to have arbitration rights. So the, what you do with a two-year deal is you kind of protect yourself from them potentially getting some sort of big contract after next season. Yeah, we should stay on Logan and then we can talk about Sandine. But actually, no, they're very I, I, similar. They're, they're kind, they're, we they're, need to. You, you can talk about both at the same time, really. Like, well, there's because not, there's not that much different about them. Yeah. So now it's like, can you afford number one to give Rasmus Sandine the same deal? Like, because all of a sudden, if you give both guys two year deals, let's say 1.4, suddenly that's like a million dollars in cap space that you've kind of burned for yep. what you're talking about. Like, it makes sense. But it also costs you space that you can use this year. Do you, would you do that? Would you do two years for Sandine now? Uh, yeah, I actually think Sandine has a higher upside, and it, it has even though he's the left shot, and there's not really a clear lane for him with Riley, Giordano, and Muzzin all on the left side. I still think that he's got a higher upside than than Lilgren and has the potential to. So if, if you can get him signed. I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's not quite the same thing, but remember when they signed those contracts to Kapanen and Janssen and they both got, yep. well, one of them got three years and one got four. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep, you're right. Yeah, and it was, one of the contracts was 3.4 million and the other one was 3.3 or something like that. And I remember when they signed those deals, they were really tight on cap space. Like that was when they had to trade a first round pick to, to get rid of Marlowe and they were trying to trade Zaitsev and they had the new contracts coming online for Matthews and Marner and that whole offseason was really, really complicated. And I was surprised that they gave the term that they did to Kapanen and Janssen because you give guys like that more term, like the three and the four-year deals, you got to give them more dollars. And it ended up being a mistake, really, because they could have used that cap space in the first, let's say, year or two, and they really didn't need to make that kind of commitment because neither player ended up working out. So it's always a balancing act between do you want to squeeze the player into into a one-year deal and then pay for it later, or do you want to try and spread the pain around? And I think the two-year deal makes a lot of sense because $1.4 million is not a lot of money, uh, but you're also protecting yourself from next summer having a, a headache from one of those guys. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring that up because it, I've been thinking a lot about that. They're in an interesting spot, and, and I guess any team that's in their position that's trying to win a cup like right now is where you're trying to really balance – what's best for your team today and this year and also what's like best in the bigger picture. And so like those deals you're talking about with Kappen and Janssen, those were, those were bets like that. Those guys were going to be worth it at some point. Yeah. That they were going to outperform those contracts, which they never ended up doing. Yeah. And so that was like almost like a longer term kind of, we're going to, we're going to take the hit in the short term for the possibility that in the long term, this is going to really pay off. And it feels like the Lilgren contract is kind of in the middle. Like it's not, it's not the same long-term bet, but it's not a one-year deal where what you're talking about could happen. He could have 40 points. He could play 20 minutes a game and suddenly he's got arbitration rights and he's costly. But like what I think the balance is, is so interesting. Like how do you, I don't know how you do this properly. And I think even like, in terms of like fit and usage, like with those guys with Sandy and Lilgren, like you can see it, they signed Giordano where they're basically saying this, we need this guy to win a cup right now. And so even if that pushes Rasmus Sandin or 
our future potential top four defenseman to his offside, we have to do it because we're trying to win a cup right now and we think he well, helps us more. Let me interrupt though. I mean, Giordano is a no brainer because he's making 800K, right? So, like, yeah. even he could be your seventh defenseman in the second year of that contract and you're totally fine with that because he's, he's making seventh defenseman money. That's true. But, like, you, you, you are kind of making it a little less clear-cut how Sandine fits. Like, there's no getting around that. Uh, uh, Jonas, honestly, I know you and I have been debating this not on the show. We haven't done a podcast in a couple of weeks, but I think that this just means that Justin Hall is going to get moved is what's going to happen, and I think they're going to try Sandine on the right side. And that I think that's true. I know that's been discussed. Like, that's been talked yeah. about. They've talked about that. But but it it's – I don't think it's a – if you're doing everything you can to make sure your young defenseman is comfortable, that's not it. Like, I, what, I think he'll be fine. Deal? No, no, no. Playing Sandy on the right. Like, I think he'll be fine playing on the right. He's played in the right in the past, like in the AHL, I believe. Not really. But there's not really an alternative. I mean, what, what's well, the, the alternative? Well, the alternative is don't sign Giordano or, tr- or, or sign well, well, Giordano. Why would you do that, though? I mean, Giordano is like a two and a half, three million dollar defenseman who wants to play for you for 800K. Like, it doesn't make any sense to not do that. Because you're pushing your young defenseman into a different position. Yeah, but I think I think Sandine will be fine on the right side if he's on the third pair and he's playing with someone like Giordano. I mean, I, I he should be able to handle that. Yeah. No, there's a, there's I, a I, lot I, of left shots that play the right side in the NHL. There's a, uh, there's tons. Well, there's one on this team. Like, I, I, I think yeah. you're right. I just think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. Like, if I'm Sandine, I'd be like a little like, there's a lot of little things that if you're him, you could be thinking, where do I fit in here? Like, Well, I think that if he didn't get hurt last year, it's probably a different conversation around him. Like, He probably has more leverage play? in a negotiation. And Let me ask you, uh, though, like, let's say he's healthy at the start of the playoffs. Is he in the lineup? Well, he was playing so well before he got hurt. No, I don't mean at the start of the play. I mean, he was healthy in the playoffs, wasn't he? And he didn't. No, he wasn't healthy until game five. I just mean, let let me clarify. Like, if he had stayed healthy the entire season, like, he was on a trajectory that was really, really impressive. I think that, you know, maybe maybe if he's playing really well, they're like, we don't need to go trade for Giordano at the deadline. Maybe they think they need something different. Giordano was really, like, an answer to, like, Muzzin struggling more than it was... Yeah. Not having Sandine. I think that's right. But let me, so let me ask you this. Okay. So, yeah, I guess it, it really depends. I mean, their, their top six in game one was Riley Labushkin, Muzzin Brody, Giordano Lilligren. So, where yeah. does Sandine fit in there? Well, and the other thing too is do they go get Labushkin if Sandine's healthy and playing really well? Not necessarily. They're probably not adding two defensemen. They're probably not adding Labushkin and Giordano if Sandine's playing as well as he did in the first. 45 games of the season. When did he get hurt? He got hurt on March 19. Yeah. So it was after the trip. No. Yeah. So he wasn't hurt when they acquired Labushkin. So I don't want to throw you under the bus or anything, but you've been kind of speculating like maybe they should trade one of the young defensemen. And I, I don't agree with you on that at all. And I think I'm it's not, a good- you, you're not throwing me under the bus. I, I, I think it's something you have to think about. Well, sure. you just haven't brought it up yet, so I'm just I didn't Let's know if you, that Let's was like an offline it. I didn't know if that was like a non podcast conversation that. or not. No, that's fair. I, I think it's a conversation. Tell me I why you think I'm wrong. Because they're they're cheap. Mm-hmm. You don't know what their ceiling is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a lot of older defensemen who are going to age out mm-hmm. of this team, mm-hmm. and you're going to if you can get cost controlled young D who can play in your top four while making one point four million, even if it's just next year, you have to do that. You have to do it. 
my my counter is you're trying to win right now right yeah. now and and it i don't know that it's i don't know that you can have i don't know that you're, they're there yet and like i mean even the fact that they want to bring back labushkin tells me a little something and, and james like just look at what they've done over the years there has been and I wrote about this when I wrote about Sandy and Lilligren, so it's like very top of mind. I discussed it with you. They have changed how they think about their defense. No question. And they are starting to move towards we need more muscle in the playoffs. Like mm-hmm. there is some thought in that front office that you almost need to build two different defenses. Like you need a defense for the regular season and you need a defense for the playoffs. And so what I'm wondering with both those guys and and like I'm with you. I think Sandy has a higher, higher upside, but can you build a defense that can win a cup with all these components in the mix? And and I'm not sure. I guess is where. Yeah, I'm but at. I don't think the answer to that question, Jonas, is to trade one of those guys right now because I don't think that their value in a trade return is going to be as high as what their value on the ice is going to be. Okay, so the one I, I, I'm thinking about is JT Miller. So let's say Vancouver says, we will trade you JT Miller, and the big thing we want back is Sandine. No, there's, it doesn't make any sense because you're only going to get Miller for one year. James, like you're, you're, but that's my point. Like you're trying to, if, yeah, if but I'm you're that giving up Sandine, who could potentially be a top 4D on your team for 10 years, who. But, but I'm not sure. Like that's what I don't know. Like, and that's like structurally, I don't know that you can build a top four with Riley and Sandine both in it. I'm not sure. Maybe you can. I don't know. We just, we just, I mean, we just watched Colorado win the Stanley Cup and, you know, you look at some of the defensemen that are playing for them. I mean, I know everyone's they focused on Tampa. They don't have Kale McCarr, James. Like, they don't have Devin. No, they, no. But, I mean, they, you know, Sam Gerrard. He uh, wasn't playing. No, I know. But the, he was part of what made Colorado an amazing team this year. James, like, like I think that's a good point, but they... Colorado is a perfect example of a team that had these same conversations and then went and traded for Josh Manson at the trade deadline. Yeah, but and they look also at some had of their like other this, guys too. They also had like the smaller skilled D playing for them as well. Look at their D in the playoffs. It was not small. They have like they have like don't they have like Curtis McDermott and like he didn't, Jack he Johnson didn't play either. But Jack Johnson's a big dude. I know he's not like a physical dude. Eric Johnson's big. Like they're they're D. It's not like they're D yeah. is small. And Kale McCarr is not big, but he's like a he's a one in a million. What you want is a blend, right? And and the, right now the Leafs don't have a blend. So you know yes. that that's part of why Muzzin's not going to get traded. You know, as I said on, on our I think on our last show. Yeah. And it's part of why I think you move Hall out because while Hall's got some size, he's not really a physical. And you try and find. I, I think your point is a good one about the composition of the defense, but even if Sandine and Logren are playing on your third pair, I think you're making what they're making. I think you're in a pretty good spot. But but the, the problem, I think you're right. Like in terms of like them as players, they're good players. But it's more like I'm trying to think bigger picture. Like how do you build a defense that can actually win? And with the pieces that they have, I don't know how that all fits together. So like I was asking you, so if Giordano is going to play with Logren. Or, or maybe Lilligren plays with Muzzin. Well, Giordano where, might play with Sandine too, right? Like, I could see that. Yeah. And and so maybe it's like Muzzin, Brody, Riley, Lilligren, something like that. Like, yeah, I, it and, could be. Is that good enough? Maybe. But, like, I, I'm not and sure. And then I guess you do the same thing where you try and add a defenseman at the deadline again. 
Like, if you look at free agency, like, what defenseman are they going to add that's going to... And the other thing, you've talked about them, they need to add it to another top four defenseman that, that brings that element and everything. Who and how? I don't know. Like they, yeah. they don't have any cap space. Well, they, there's, they not, no, there's not really, like, free agents that they're going to be able to afford. The way to do it would have been if you were interested in trading Muzzin, which would be complicated because you got the no trade clause and everything, but... Even then, if you trade him, like you're moving the one guy that does bring that element that's still on the team. Yeah. And so I think we can talk about that a little bit. We haven't spent much time in it. I wanted to write about it and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I think it's a really interesting choice. Like you've said that they're they're planning to keep him. I think that's a, I get it. I think it's also really risky. I mean- I could see them trading him next summer, Jonas. Like I think that the last year of that contract might be the one that goes- but or I it think, could even, you know, a mid-season thing. I guess or, a mid-season thing. I just think it's really risky. I get it. Like, and, and he performed well in the playoffs. I just really would be worried that he's not going to be able to stay healthy would be my number one concern. And, like, he looked like he was slowing down even before the injuries last year. Yeah. Like, that's but it, it comes concerning. back to what you said about, like, wanting to have that element on the roster. Yeah. Well, but I mean, the other thing it. too is he makes five point six, right? Like it's a pretty significant cap hit, and that's why earlier in the off season I was looking at it and I was like, well, if they move that contract, that potentially frees up, and then you play Sandine or Logren in the top four, and then all of a sudden yeah. that frees up some money to spend on your forward group or or in goal. But if they're keeping him, then it's it's really tight, and if they're keeping him and they're giving Logren and Sandine both the two year contracts. It's going to be hard to upgrade up front, and it's going to be hard to add two good goalies. Well, and so that's part of my question, James. Like, I've been wondering, and you've been wondering, we've been talking about it and writing about it. How are they going to find a second line center if they don't have any, like, if they have no money? I don't, like, that's one of the things, like, I haven't been able to they're figure not. out. They're not. So then, so what Unless are they they're doing? trading Kerfoot, is there anyone else? I mean, well, so that was my hypothetical trade. Like, you trade Sandine and Kerfoot, and you get back Miller. And maybe you can sign Miller. I don't know. He'd probably be way too expensive, and he's older. He's, you're not going to want to sign what he's going to get. He's going to get like seven something million. It's not going to, you know, and he'll be in decline at that point. And it's 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 a puzzle. The yeah. other thing, Jonas, and I think this is a good conversation for us to have. And we're I'm gonna I'm gonna open a can of worms here that we're not going to have enough time to like fully get into. But you watch the Cup final, and you watch Tampa, and you watch Colorado, and it's like. The question for the Leafs isn't like, how do we become a good team? Because they're already a good team. And there, it looks like next year they're going to roll back a relatively similar roster next season, other than what happens in goal and maybe, you know, some changes around the edges. You know, maybe Hall goes, maybe they 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 change. I mean, the forward composition on the third and fourth line is going to be different with Mikheyev leaving. But how do you catch Colorado? You know, like the Leafs didn't get past Tampa. And then Colorado really looked like they were in another class from the Lightning. So the question for the Leafs is how do it's not just like how do we stay the same? Like I think they can do that. I think they can be as good as they were last year. Yeah. How do how do they get better than they were last year? I don't really know the answer to that. And that's that's kind of why I'm open to all these different possibilities because I I I think that's a, a great point. Like I don't know how. Like how are you But moving? you trade Sandine and then Muzzin ages out and you got to trade him. All of a sudden it's like, well who's Who's on left defense on our second pair? But that goes back to my like now versus future balance that you, they're trying to strike. It's like, yeah, yeah, long term that 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 might really hurt. They're not all in on one year though, Jonas. Like they've got they've got at least a two year window here where Nylander and and Matthews are signed. Okay, but so I'm asking you, like, if if you can add someone who really really is going to boost your chances for next year. 
but it costs you a piece who could help you for the next 10. I get it. Like I, I, I'd probably be on the side of caution and yet like you don't yeah, do but that. I'm not even it's, talking about 10 years with Sandy. I mean, I know I mentioned that earlier, but like two years from now, it wasn't going to be whatever, 35. But James, like you might be, I, I get that. Like I'm, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit in two years. Who knows what happens to this team? Like, it could be a different management team. We don't know what's going to happen with Matthews. We don't know what's going to happen with Neander. Like, I assume Matthews will sign. I don't know what's going to happen with Neander. Riley's going to be, like, older. Like, I just don't know what's going to happen in two years. So there would be a part of me, if I was in that front office, that would be tempted to say, like, this is our time now. And so if we can make a trade, even if it costs us something that we really like and it's young and it's like got lots of potential, if that can make us much better for this year, maybe we have to do it. I don't know. Like, Well, I like the trades, you know, when a team says, it, it's when they say now, it's like not trading for a guy who's going to be a UFA in a year. It's like get someone who can be part of, yeah. if the Leafs had a trade for a guy that was going to be with them for two years, I think that that makes more sense because it's really a two-year window right now and then reassess where they're at. Does Matthews come back, et cetera? Yeah, it's really hard. I, I just don't know how they're going to... Yeah, I think you've highlighted the key point. How do you get better? And I think one of the ways you get better, and I'm writing about this, I've written about their their needs for the offseason. I'll have something on UFAs and RFAs that they could go get this summer. I think part of it that that's not easy but accomplishable this summer is is making a fourth line that's actually useful. And And look at Tampa and Colorado. They both had really good fourth lines. Yeah, it's not sexy, but that's going to be a big part of their free agency is trying to find better forwards than they've had on their fourth line over the last few years. Like they've ran out Goat and Clifford and all these. They got to get better there. Yes. They got like they in back to back playoff series in a series that was decided by like a goal and a shot. And and I guess that's last year, but they got nothing out of their fourth line basically. And that can be the difference in a series. So. Yeah, like it's it's really hard. Um, I guess we could get to we can keep talking free agency if you want, and then get to Matthews. Um, we wrote about the goalies uh, a little while back. After putting together that piece and doing some reporting on it, where do you feel strongest? Like, do you like a trade candidate? Do you think the free agent way is the way to go? Do you just go get two? similar-ish guys and hope that one like what do you do what happens with jack campbell it doesn't seem like he's coming back my sense is what they're going to do is there's going to be a guy who's i don't think they're going to get two three million dollar guys i mean they they really only have even if they can trade morazic and disappear his contract they really only have what six seven million to spend on goalies like i think what they're going to be looking at is give four or five million to one guy and then try and find another guy for two million so the candidate list that that we had you know varlamov flurry Huso, Campbell. That that's probably what they're looking at. So if I was ranking those guys, I would rank I would probably go Flurry, Varlamov, Campbell, Huso. And it depends on cost too, right? Yeah, and I guess the, the and, only th- and all yeah, those kinds of things. Well, that's the thing. I'm I'm assuming I mean why I, w- I would have Flurry ahead of Varlamov is he's not gonna you don't have to trade anything for him. Um, I wonder like what kind of contract he wants at this point. Is it like you would assume it's a short term deal? It's not going to cost what Darcy Kemper is going to get. I think he would be my guy. 
Well, let me ask you about Huso. Huso, I, I think, w- yeah. is going to be in their consideration. That uh, yes, I get it. It also would terrify me if I was in that front office. <laughs> I think part of what might appeal about Huso is the price might be a little bit lower, but it, it's also a way bigger gamble. What, what's he played? Sixty-seven NHL games. 57. You know, it's. I I think. Oh yeah, I think I was including some of the playoff games in there. Um, I think that. You know, potentially what you might like, St. Louis likes Huso as well, so it'll be interesting there. There might potentially be something, you know, one of the guys on our list was Bennington. If, if St. Louis finds a way to get Huso done, is Bennington suddenly available? Bennington makes six, which is higher than what you would want to spend given the cap situation. So I think this goalie decision, both of the goalies and trading Mrazek, this is really going to define their offseason. You know, yeah. we can talk about the fourth line all we want or Sandine contracts or trading Justin Hall. I mean, really, goal is is going to be the biggest change. And maybe that's the answer to the question I posed earlier about how do they get better. Maybe they get maybe the answer is they get better in goal. All right. We need to take a break. Uh, then we're going to get to the pod bag. And then we are going to talk to Josh Cloak. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James, it is pod bag time. We don't have a ton of time to spend on the pod bag. I wanted to ask you about Matthews winning the heart. And I also wanted to ask you about Nazem Kadri winning a cup. Um, we need longer shows here, Jonas. Holy cow. I know. Usually well, it's like this, summer. This we have nothing a, to talk about. We have so much to talk about. Could be a two hour episode. I mean, I think Matthews, we've talked about so much this year. I don't know if there's anything new to say. Uh, I'm not surprised that he won. You know, 60 goals in 73 games is absolutely incredible. First heart trophy for a Leafs player since '55. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable accomplishment and, and well deserved. I mean, even though you know playoff disappointment and everything, I feel like you know the accomplishment loses some of its thunder when you lose in the first round. Yeah. You know, it's a bit different than Kale McCarr who walks up there, gets the Norris Trophy, and then a few days later goes out and and gets the Conn Smythe and the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's obviously what you would prefer as a fan base, but I don't think that I don't think we should diminish how good of a regular season Austin Matthews had. Agreed. And what was the other, the, the Kadri? I mean, his, Kadri's comment was anyone who who doubted or who thought I was a liability in the playoffs could kiss my ass was is pr- pretty funny. I laughed out loud on the couch when, when I heard him say that. And I tweeted it out and I said, never change Naz because he, he was like that day one. I remember him as a kid coming into like the prospect events raid the first year they drafted him. He was talking like that. And here he is all these years later, and he's still talking like that. And, you know, God love him. He's almost got like a – he's got like a, a bigger personality that you see in some of the other sports in, yeah. in hockey. He's one of the few people that actually does, and, and good for him. I, yeah, I'm happy for him. I like – I've always liked Kadri. I don't know that that's a completely fair statement. Like, he literally was a liability. Not like yeah. – it, it wasn't an opinion. Like, he literally was suspended in – what was it? Three playoffs? There was a good column to write about Kadri that I I haven't really fully pulled together, but it was really difficult for him to get traded. Like he took it really personally hard. And I remember being in Colorado the first game he played against the Leafs and 
and talking to Kadri and just like how emotional he was. And you could really tell it kind of like shattered him a little bit. So, you know, I think that the, I think part of that was just him trying to like, it really broke his heart in some ways getting traded by the Leafs. It did. You could tell that it did. So that's what that was. That's what that was. Yeah. Like good. Yeah. And you're right. That that's that's very fair, and like it was it was him just saying, you know, like uh, I did it, but it, like it, I I I'm not uh, like I cannot be I can actually help, and he was great, like he performed great. Well, everyone in Toronto knew he was a great player. I mean, there was even the you know the Leafs front office knew that too. I mean, it was never really about it was just about him making the right decisions at the right time, and it, he he had made wrong decisions even before the two suspensions against the Bruins so many times that. Ultimately, the least front office decided to move on. And the thing I would say, and if I do end up writing a column, this is what I would say. The problem was not the Leafs deciding to move on from Kadri, although, you know, people can argue that. And part, part of the problem is they didn't get it back what he's worth. You know, if you traded him and got a piece that that helped you be a contender, then that would be great. But they didn't, they didn't accomplish that. Well, and maybe it's funny, like if their first trade had gone through and it's TJ Brody, maybe it looks a little different. So. Well, the team that next season would have been better as having Brody instead of Tyson Berry. Yes. All right. Your time for the pod bag. I'm just looking at the Hart Trophy voting. It's interesting. Lots of people got first place votes. Yeah. And there were some. There some were some interesting ones. Interesting choices. There were some ones I do not agree with. 13 mm-hmm. first place votes for Jonathan Huberto is a stretch. Yeah. He did a not lot make of them. my ballot. It seemed like a lot of them came from close to his hometown. Yes. Uh, uh, the number one question we have is about Nazem Kadri. Wow. What about him? <laughs> Eugene says, I'm happy to see Kadri win a cup, but it's very bittersweet as a Leafs fan. Is that the worst trade that Caldewas has made? Uh, uh, how do you feel about the Felino trade? I mean, that's, <laughs> it's it's yeah. one of the it's one of the other. I mean, they, they, the Leafs do have Kerfoot, which I know... He's not Kadri, uh, but he did have a good season. So it's not like they have nothing to show for it, but it should be bittersweet, you know, and he was a beloved player. And I've said this before, but I wonder if Kadri's going to get a huge contract in free agency that's going to be, he's probably going to get a seven, eight year deal and for a lot of money. I wonder if he can be one like kind of a Jason Spencer guy who comes back at the end of that contract and plays in, in his late thirties and on a low dollar deal and, because Kadri's just a guy. You t- people talk in this city about bleeding blue. That's that's what he was. Yeah, I think it's more tougher now that you're facing kind of these issues with Tavares. And in theory, if you had just kept Kadri, it's less of an issue. Although, like, the roster would be completely different. Who knows what happens? And history would, like, it's that butterfly effect. Did you ever see that movie? It wasn't great, but anyway. No, it looked really dumb. <laughs> I don't I like sci-fi movies, great. but if if it gets like twelve percent on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm not turning that one on. What's next? Nathan has a few different questions here. I think they're all worth us digging into quickly. Uh, is there any word if the Leafs will try and retain Colin Blackwell? That one is going to depend on. That's the kind of guy who's going to want to look at free agency and see what he can get. You know, the Leafs probably said to him, "We'd love to have you back, but we can only pay you." 800, 900 grand, maybe a million. Whereas he could go to the open market and get 1.6 from somebody or something like that, right? So, yeah. And that's a big difference for a guy who hasn't made a lot of money in his career. Yeah. I uh, like Colin Blackwell. Yeah. I like him at a million or less. So, yeah. the question if you want to make a million or less, I mean, you could probably even give him two years, right? Yeah. 
Uh, Nathan also wants to know, do we like Georgiev as a potential backup if the Rangers don't give him a qualifying offer, which is possible given how much he's making? Um, I don't know. Georgiev is a little bit. It's Georgiev. Sorry. My, uh, my, my Russian is, (laughs) my Russian names aren't perfect. Georgiev, uh, Hasn't had a lot of great results lately, so I think that there will potentially be better options in that backup slot than him. He also needs a contract. Yeah. He's RFA. Yeah. Well, Nathan's saying if he doesn't get qualified by the Rangers, oh. which is possible because yeah. his qualifying offer is going to be too high. Yeah. As a uh, second guy, like I don't hate it. It's okay. Depending and on again, who the first I, guy is. Yeah, and again, I wouldn't want to pay him a lot of money too, so he might potentially get more in free agency from someone else. And the other question Nathan has is, what are our odds on Mikheyev coming back? Uh, I would say like 3% chance. Yeah, unless he, unless he I don't wants think he's to take like back. a serious discount. And I don't think he's coming back. He's going to get a lot in free agency. Like you look at the scoring players available, like he's, I think Mikheyev came to North America in part to change his financial situation and... I think he's going to do that this offseason, and the Leafs aren't going to be able to do that. Well, and you can debate whether he's worth that kind of investment. I'm not sure. He's pretty far down the list, though, of like forwards, to be honest. There's a lot of forwards. Uh, Stefan wants to know, I don't know if you've got a name for this or not, uh, what's one out-of-the-box name you think would be a perfect fit on this Leafs team? Ooh, because I got a list coming out tomorrow. Why don't I pull one from my list? What do you think, James? Yeah, Should just do don't, give, don't give me some guy that's going to play nine minutes a night. All right, here's a guy who ranks fourth on my list. His name is Miles Wood. So he's oh, yeah. RFA, uh, but his qualifying offer is like $4 million. There's mm-hmm. a chance they don't qualify him. Mm. I like him as kind of like a middle sixty forward who's going to play really hard. Like he could, I could envision him being like good a skater, energy good, guy. Yeah, Nick yeah. Pauly kind of type for the Leafs. Like he would, I, I like him as a potential. He missed most of last year, so his value might be a little suppressed. Maybe you can get him on a two or three year deal, like lure him that way. Like that's one thing they did smartly with, like to get Comf and to get Bunting. Like they gave them two year deals, so. I don't know. That that's that's one of the guys who made my list. Yeah, I like that one. That's they're going to have to try and find. I don't know what Wood would cost. Like I don't think he's not going to be a million dollar guy, so you're going to have to invest some money there and Yeah. Depending on what they spend in goal. I, I they're not going to have a lot of money to spend up front. That's part of why they they die the chances that they keep McKeever are so low. Yeah. I like that one though. That's a good one. Did you have anyone? Do you want any other names you want to throw out there? The free agency class is is not that sexy this year. I don't want to spoil it. I'll save it for if you want to go read uh, on Wednesday morning. It'll be out. My top ten. Graham wants to know: Do we think the problems with Tavares could be solved by moving Mitch Marner? back on, on to the wing with John Tavares. What do you think? Do you think that they might potentially do that? Uh, would the pain of losing the first round, he says, be enough for Martyr and Matthews to go along with that change? I think they would go along with it. I think the more interesting question is whether they should move Martyr to center. 
I think right. that's more interesting to me. That would require like that's that's a conversation you're having now or you had a month ago with Mitch Marner. Well, I don't yeah, I don't think Marner's going to be I think he'd be fine with moving to center. Yeah. I mean, he came I mean, into the I'm, league as a center. Right. Well, he he was yeah. He was always on the wing in the NHL, but yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think he that came, would be interesting. Like I I I I would really consider that because I think Matthews would be fine. Like he'd obviously lose something not having Marner, but maybe you play Bunting, Matthews, Neander, Tavares, Marner in the middle, and then some other winger, Miles Wood, on another wing or or Kerfoot or whoever. Yeah, I, uh, because like some... like we said, James, like I don't know how they're going to get another center. Like, yeah, they're going to be I've too costly. Or some co- coaches I've talked to around the league. Who are, who are you know smart and really understand? They they think that Marner could could function well as a center. He's he's okay in the faceoff circle. You look at his numbers; he's fine when he's taking draws. Well, and there's some thought that you would just have Tavares take a lot of the draws. Like he's one of the best faceoff guys in the league. Right. So or maybe split, Marner. Yeah, Marner just like takes the right side, side draw. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I was I was playing beer league on Sunday and they put me at center, so I had to take lots of faceoffs, and I hadn't done that in a while. It's there's a lot more that goes into it than uh, <laughs> it's. Did you it's, lose a lot? Uh, well, the thing I, uh, when I was on my weak side, I was like, what the hell do you do here? Because you don't want to win the draw to the front of your net. You know, I was taking like defensive zone draws. And I was like, I guess I just got to like tie the guy up or something here. Steven wants to know, they signed Logren before Sandine. Should we worry, be worried about that? Do you, what, do you think that the, that means I know, there's, there's trouble in the Sandine negotiation? I think there was some thought that it wouldn't be the worst thing to be first. Mm-hmm. Because like if you're first, like now we're that, talking about can they afford to to also give Sandine two years? I think that that kind of sets the ceiling, right? Like I can't see them giving Sandine more than that, even no. though we both said that we think he has a higher upside. Now, if Sandine hadn't been hurt last year and had put up more points, et cetera, et cetera, then he could have he could have commanded more. Yeah. All right, one more, and then we got to get to our man Cloak. I love, you know, I love the questions we get from people. There's questions about Dennis Mulgan. There's like, oh like my we, God. Get, we get literally everything. Do you want a Mulgan question or do you want something else? Something else. Uh, oh boy, this name's going to be hard for me to pronounce. Jibril. Jibril wants to know, uh, w- basically, why are so many people down on Sheldon Keefe? Is he, is he really a bad coach? Why are there so many criticisms against him? Uh, is there a criticism of him? I didn't like what's the I think criticism? that on social media and stuff, I think that, that that's like picked up a little bit, you know, after the first round loss. Um, you know, I think that there were some more criticisms you could make of Sheldon Keefe in the Montreal series, like just some of the personnel decisions that were made, the inability to fix the power play. I thought against Tampa, like he goes up against John Cooper, the best coach in the league, and I thought that it was it was pretty close, you know. And I think the thing that people around the league say to me about Sheldon Keefe is like, it's hard when you're only two or three years into your career in the NHL. It's a big step up from the AHL. And Do you know what I, I noticed though, it. James, about John Cooper that I, I, like if I was watching and I was Keefe, I might think about, and he knows more than I will ever know about hockey, but Cooper is like constantly, constantly tinkering. And like, mm-hmm. it could be 10 minutes into a game. And if he's not seeing something from say, his top line or his top power play unit, he just changes it. Like he'll just, instead of putting Palat out there with the first power play, he just puts Perry out there or like he'll switch up things. Like, like we even saw in that in the Leaf series, like he was playing with the defense pairs constantly. Like Chernak was playing with Hedman. He was playing with McDonough. I don't know. Like there was just a lot of like 
tinkering. And sometimes it feels like you can use more of that in series. And at, at times we've seen Sheldon Keefe go too far. And I think at times we haven't seen him go far enough. Well, there's actually quite a few Sheldon Keefe questions. That's interesting. That's not what I would be expecting this time of year. Let's do one more real quick and then we can get to our, our special guest in the draft next okay. week. Uh, Taylor, Taylor is concerned about next season. He says, how confident we can we be that this team takes a step forward? Goaltending is a huge area of concern. And we have to take a gamble on. Uh, factor in losing Mikheyev, Tavares and, and Muzzin getting a year older. Tampa's bringing back relatively the same team. It's hard for me to be optimistic when you factor all that in. What do you think? Hmm. I don't know. I still think this is a team that, like, let's say they beat Tampa, right? Which isn't a stretch. It was 2-1 in game seven. They had a chance to close out the series. I kind of think they're facing Colorado in the cup final. Now, you could say Colorado is going to beat them. Maybe. I, I just don't think they're that far. And I think there no. are parts of the roster that they need to improve. Um, but I don't think that they're that far in spite of like, that's what's hard to have conversations with people who maybe don't know the team as well, or, or like even casual fans who kind of knock the Leafs. It's like, you can just look at it and say they lost again in the first round. They're not, they're not close, but I think they are close. Yeah. I, I think what he's saying is he's worried there's going to be a potentially a step back. I, I don't foresee that, but it's going to depend. It's going to depend what they do here and over the next couple of weeks and how they, how they augment the roster. Indeed. All right, let's take a break and then let's get to Cloak. All right, James, draft time is coming up very soon and nobody knows. Well, he's right up there, right, Josh? Like in terms of draft knowledge, like with the Corey Promins and the Scott Wheelers? No, those guys have me lapped. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, sorry. Well, so, Josh, I was just told that Corey has like 350 profiles written or something of the wow. potential players. Like it, it's, it's, the amount of draft coverage that we've had on the site already and the amount that's coming is unbelievable. Like this is going to be, we have two full-time people that do prospects and the draft, the weeks leading up to the draft, it's just incredible the amount of content they produce. Yeah. And they do great stuff. And, I, and I've definitely leaned on them to like learn a little bit more about some of the players that I think the Leafs are targeting or maybe should target. Um, and like hearing from them kind of, sometimes validates what I'm thinking or sometimes pushes me in a different direction, but yeah, they're, and, and they're different too, right? They're, they, they're not aligned in the way they look at the game, which I think is important. Josh, maybe you can just give us an overview. I, the, we know the Leafs are picking 25th with a first round pick. They've only got two other picks. What, what's your sense of, of what this, this landscape looks like for them? I mean, obviously the first round picks, the one that, that, that we care about. Have you, any other inclination of what you think the Leafs are going to do here? Well, I think they're going to keep the pick for sure. And I know there's been a little bit of discussion about whether, given that it's a late first round pick, maybe you trade down and you try and add like, you know, someone late in the first round and another second round pick. I don't think they're inclined to do that as maybe they were in years past. I think they're looking for a player that, and this is kind of what I wrote about a few weeks ago. They're looking for a player that can contribute sooner rather than later. And obviously, you know, you, you'd have better luck finding that type of player higher up in the draft, but I think they want to go a little safer. And I think, you know, we know that the draft, especially lower on in the lower rounds, it's about taking swings and just betting on talent, but they need someone to produce in the next, what, two seasons, two and a half seasons. Um, and so I think they keep the pick and I think they look at someone who is mature and playing against men right now. Cause that, you know, 
finding someone that's in that kind of setup right now, I'm leaning towards European leagues, kind of increases their their chances of of kind of adapting to the pro game in North America sooner rather than later. All right. Well, so what worries me about that is multiple things, Josh. Okay. <laughs> Number one, they have done that, not this regime, but they have done the safe thing before and it has bombed. Safe Be- is death. Because the second part of my question is like, what makes a player, like a prospect safe is kind of my thing. And like, how do you know that player X who is safe is going to get to the NHL sooner than player Y who maybe has higher upside? So I think like, I'm wondering if the player you're kind of like leaning towards or you're kind of referencing is when I'm doing another story on their kind of best and worst all-time picks. Are you talking about our boy, the goat? Like, He's is that kind of one of them. Towards? I mean, you can go back to Tyler Stuart Biggs. Percy, yeah. Tyler Biggs, like... But what did those those, those guys, I think, were a little more, they were leaning more towards size and making sure that the player had, you know, a pro-ready body. And I think what I'm getting at is that you don't necessarily have to go, like, for example, a player that I know the Leafs have, or, or people think the Leafs maybe should take a look at, given that he has maybe as much skill as anyone else in the draft is, is Jagger Furcus, maybe the best name in the draft, but he's a tiny, tiny player out of Moose Jaw. And maybe that's the kind of player they would have swung on in 2015, 2016. But I think now it's just about finding that balance between who's a player that has skill, a little bit of size, and maybe doesn't have as long of a development path. And maybe that means you don't take a bet on a a guy like a Jagger Furcus who has boatloads of skill. But I think they look at like Matthew Nyes and say, here's a player that has size, has skill, probably could have played. I don't know how well he would have played, but they they wanted to get him in their lineup last year. So maybe that's what you're looking for is a little bit of of, of everything, but then maybe you lose kind of that that high-end element, that high-end skill, right? And and I'm inclined to agree with that. I am. I'm worried. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I don't like I don't care. Like they can they can do whatever they want. But so that does bring me to something I want to ask you about along those lines. Like you bring up Jagger Furcus. Yep. Who like you're right. A plus name. Oh yeah. Um, I would wonder, and maybe Nyes is an example of this, but then like you look at Ty Voigt. If I was in that front office, or if I was, yeah, I I wonder if there's like an evolution in terms of the types of players that they're gonna pick moving ahead here. Well, this is just my speculation because I am watching the playoffs, and there are guys that they've taken who are tiny. And to get to the NHL and be tiny is one thing. To get to the NHL and like be an impact player in the playoffs and be tiny is another. You have to be so good at X, Y, and Z to do that. That might le- like send me away from really going for the SDAs. I don't know. Is there anything to that? That's just like a personal evolution that I've had. Well, there's two things. And the evolution is interesting. Like This is the first draft that Wes Clark is going to be running as the director of amateur scouting. And obviously, Kyle Dubas you know, has final say. But that's something that I'm, you know, the, the timing wasn't right the last time we talked to Dubas. But that's something I'm looking forward to asking him is how is the draft or your outlook on the draft changed under Wes Clark? you know, who was his right-hand man for a while and kind of just out of the spotlight. But now he's got a pretty pivotal role as, as director of amateur scouting. Um, I, I guess I think, too, that it's pretty clear. Like, you select Matthew Nyes last year and you, you, you want him in your they, – they wanted him in their lineup this year, right? So that just leads me 
you to believe that they're they're feeling a bit of heat and they they need these guys to contribute sooner rather than later. So that's why I look at some players playing overseas who are playing in men's leagues right now. Now, not necessarily, you know, we can debate where the the Swedish league kind of ranks against the OHL or whatever in terms of quality, but there's two names that I have circled, both playing for the same team. That's Noah Ostland and Liam Ogren, um, who are both playing for Jure Gardens. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Noah Ostland's a center. He's five foot 11, 163 pounds. He's more of a playmaker, great, great skater. But again, just doesn't have that kind of high, high-end attribute, um, high, high-end skill, which is probably keeping him in and around that 20 range. And Liam Ogren, six foot, 187 pounds. So, you know, he's got some size, a little bit more size, more of a competitive guy, but more of a goal scorer as well. So these are two players that, you know, if we if we believe they stay in Sweden next year, they're going to be playing against men, right, in the second division in Sweden. And I just think that would help their transition eventually in terms of, you know, coming over to North America instead of like picking a guy who's probably going to play in the, the OHL or, or the CHL, you know, next year. And then you're looking at a bit of a longer development path. I, I just think they're looking at the window, you know, with Matthews and Marner and saying, how do we get guys on entry-level deals into the NHL sooner? And to me, that's finding guys that have pro experience. And, and I wonder if that's part of that evolution that you're talking about. You're picking at 25 too. It's like the chances of getting like a star player are, they're not nothing, but it's, 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 it's difficult. Yeah. You know, you really want to get an, a good NHL player at 25 if you can. And it's, you know, the odds of, of doing that, it's, the Leafs have picked there a number of times over the last few years. And there have been, you know, Sandine, I would say was, was a success around that, that time. But, you know, there were some other picks that they made, you know, they traded back and got Dermot and that was, probably a miss given some of the other players that were av- available there um j- let me ask you this josh since you know you you follow the prospects and everything is there is there you know they've gone to europe quite often and had some mm. success with the players that they've taken is there anyone coming who's could potentially surprise and who could contribute on an entry-level contract in the next let's say two and a half years that you know could provide a blueprint maybe for what they're going to do at this draft as well it's it's tough. I mean, I think just in terms of the European thing, I I, I think the reason I, I keep going to these Swedish guys as well is, you know, they've hit a lot with Swedish guys. And I think that's in large part to Tommy Bergman, who's been with the, the organization as an amateur scout. I mean, as long as what any other amateur scout, right? So this is a guy that, and he's connected on picks like Janssen and and Engvall. Um, well, and the, the Finns too, right? Like sure. they, they got, yeah. Do you, but let me... Like, do you think that any of the the Finns, you know, Hernanen and, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, Niemela. Do you think either of those guys could potentially help fill that gap that you're talking about of needing these entry-level con- contracts to come in in the next two, three years? Two, three years, yes. Not next year, right? I, no. I mean, and this is, Jonas and I kind of debate a lot about Hervonen and Niemela because I, I'm pretty high on both of them. Niemela in particular. Like, I, I legitimately think Niemela will be a top four defenseman for them three years down the road, four years down the road. He's just, he's so aggressive with the puck. He's so smart with the puck. I love watching him play. Hervonen is tiny, right? And and he's he's really competitive, but I just don't know, not next year. I mean, they're, they're both going to be in, they have to be in Finland next year unless they make the Leafs, which is kind of outland, like outlandish, right? 
that's just the nature of their contract. But, you know, I think they can eventually come to the AHL and, and, and get kind of working in there. And we know that the Marlies are all in on draft picks under Ryan Hardy. Like we saw how many rookies they had playing for the Marlies this year instead of kind of the typical 27, 28 year old AHL veteran that bounces around. Um, so I think the opportunities are going to be there, but next year, no. But yeah, I, I think Toby Niemla is on the Leafs roster in three years. And I think Herbonen is probably in the mix in three years, but Niemla and, and, and Matthew Nyes are two players that I think in three years should definitely be contributing to the Leafs. All right, Josh, one last one, and then we got to get out of here. Uh, and we don't have a lot of time. James is short on time. Um, David Pasternak, 2014, selected 25th. Mm-hmm. So what I'm wondering, my other counter to safe, if you're ever going to get like some young talent that can actually be really impactful, don't you need to like actually take a swing? Because like the way the Leafs are built, like in a couple years, Matthews is going to be making what, 15 million? How are you like, you're going to need some young stars, not just like young guys, stars. So explain why they shouldn't do my thing and just do throw caution to the wind and just try to get the, the highest impact guy like they have in the past at times. I mean, there's there's guys that I think probably could have higher impact. Like a, another player I have circled is Philip Mesar, Slovakian, you know, five foot 10, 167 pounds. Like he's got to be one of the best skaters in the draft. And his game is like far more electric. But I just, I don't know. I I, I worry about the size. I, I worry about the adjustment, right? Um and I think that's the player that like four, five, six years ago, the Leafs would have picked. But I don't know. I, I guess I'm of the mindset now that if you can find a third line player at 25th overall that can be in your lineup in two years, that's a lot more valuable considering their window than finding a possible first line player who might be ready in four years and might just take a lot more time to kind of add size to his frame. You know what I mean? Cause like Ooh, that's the, spicy. That's I know. Spicy, I, I know. And I know, and it, it's rare that we disagree on this kind of stuff, but I just, I, I look at that window and I think you, you just need guys that can contribute soon. Um, and I just, I look at Austin and, and Ogren and like, I'm trying to go with my gut a lot more. And I just, I really feel like those are two guys that they have circled and two guys that, if they're available at 25, I would be very, very surprised. And I, you know, you talk to people around these guys, you talk to their coaches, you talk to their teammates. They're mature. Olgren was the captain of Sweden at the the World Under 18s. Um, Oslin was the assistant. Like they they like, I think the Leafs like these kind of mature, smart guys. Uh, that's Matthew Nyes as well. So those are guys that I have I have circled, and if if they turn into third liners, I think that's better than 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 swinging and missing. But again, maybe that's maybe that's too spicy. I don't know. All right, go to Josh's uh, story at the Athletic. Check out who he thinks they might pick, should pick at twenty fifth. Read all the draft coverage. Read anything you want. Actually, go to theathletic.com/sleepreport to sign up. Josh, thank you, James. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Later.